0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We are continuing a series through the Ten Commandments as they're given there in Exodus chapter 20. This morning we come to the Third Commandment, which is found in verse 7. I'll read that Third Commandment and then briefly turn over to Matthew 6 and read verses 9 through 13. This is God's Word. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And then from the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus taught us to pray, beginning in Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil one of the saddest days in popular culture took place on december 31st 2000 or 1995 1995, December 31st, 1995. That's not etched in your memory, that date. It's the date of the very last appearance of the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes in the newspaper. (laughs) There's been a very big hole in our comics page ever since. Every other comic strip does not measure up Every time I read a comic strip now, I read it and say, ah, that was kind of funny, but not nearly as good as Calvin and Hobbes. It's actually kind of an interesting story if you know Bill Watterson at all, the man who drew and wrote those comic strips. Very private man to the point of being a recluse. He did make some public statements, though, when he stopped producing Calvin and Hobbes, and He gave, uh, as I went back and did some of the reading, he gave basically three reasons. First of all, he wanted to pursue painting instead of comic strips. Secondly, he grew weary of just the daily burden of producing such an excellent comic strip. And then thirdly, he was fed up with the commercialism that surrounded his strip. Probably many of you know that he actually refused to sign off merchandising rights on Calvin and Hobbes wouldn't allow the use of the images of Calvin the little boy or his imaginary tiger Hobbes on lunch boxes or sweatshirts or decals. He didn't allow for it. In 2005, 10 years later, Bill Watterson gave an interview, and he actually addressed that question in particular. The question was asked of him, what led you to resist merchandising Calvin and Hobbes? This is his answer. For starters, I clearly miscalculated how popular it would be to portray Calvin urinating on a Ford logo. (laughs) But seriously, he says, I wasn't against all merchandising when I started the strip, but each product I considered seemed to violate the spirit of the strip, contradict its message, and take me away from the work that I loved. So it was really an issue of integrity for Bill Watterson in his mind. But I say all that to make you realize that every time you see a Calvin and Hobbes decal on the back of a pickup truck or on a t-shirt or on a lunchbox or wherever you might see it, understand that that's illegal. That that creative property has been stolen and used for that purpose. We have in this society wisely some very strict trademark and licensing and copyright laws. And the whole purpose of those laws is to protect us from people using names, our names, things that we create, or our images against our wishes or without our permission. That's just basic to our society. When you think about it, isn't it amazing that we don't apply that same thinking to the name In the images of the God of the universe. We don't seem to think that He has any right to trademark and copyright laws. But isn't that really, as we've been studying the Ten Commandments, isn't that really what the Second Commandment and the Third Commandment are? They're trademark and copywriting laws that God gives concerning His own image and His own name. You are not to use any image of God, of your own imagination, but only the image that he has given ultimately in his son Jesus Christ. And you are not, the third commandment tells us here, to use his name in any way except that in which he is allowed. That's what the third commandment is about. Part of the problem here is that we take names far more lightly than people in biblical times took names. Certainly we take the names of God far more lightly. What is in the name of God? What's so important that God encoded it in the Ten Commandments that we not use his name in any way except which he has allowed us by permission? It's actually interesting that later than biblical times, not during biblical times, but later in Judaism, after the time of Christ and the apostles, the the, the Jews, in an effort to keep from violating the Third Commandment, actually added a man-made rule or law which said you're not allowed to speak the name of God. You're not even allowed to write it out. And some forms of Judaism actually practice that today. You're not allowed to speak or write out the name of God at all. But that misses the point of the third commandment completely. And like most man-made rules, it actually restricts us and puts man-made boundaries on us that God never intended. Because the third commandment is not Saying you're not allowed to use the name of God. What it is, it's not the use of the name of God that it controls, it's the misuse of the name that it forbids. The misuse of the name of God. Another reason we have trouble understanding why this is so important to God that He put in the Ten Commandments is that in our culture, the practice of naming has become more trivial, I guess I would say, compared to biblical times. I mean, when you think about why people choose names for their children, which is probably the primary way we see this, why do we choose the names that we choose? More so today, I would say people are choosing names for their children based on the way the names sound than any other real consideration. Sometimes, and it's an older tradition, to pick a name for your children that's based in family tradition, your grandfather's name or your father's name or your mother's name or grandmother's name, but not very often, sometimes, but not very often do people choose names for their children based on what the name means. I know I didn't even figure out until much later that the name Daniel actually is a Hebrew name that means God is judged, that that was something I found out much later. But in the scriptures, when names are given in general, it's all about the meaning of the name. But especially when God gives a name, it's all about the meaning of the name when God gives a name to someone. Think of Isaac. His name was Laughter. And when you think about that event in redemptive history, the birth of Isaac, the miraculous birth of Isaac, the the laughter there speaks to volumes about what happened in that incident if you know the story jesus the name given to our savior means savior that's his name was a communication about him even when a name when a when a person's name is changed which happens several times in scripture when a name is changed it's all about a change in identity abram becomes abraham which speaks to his calling to be a father of many, many nations, many people, a great nation and a father of great many people. Simon was renamed by Jesus Peter because of a new identity. He became Peter, which meant the rock. And so when God gives his own name, this is highly significant. God names himself and when he gives a name it's all about revealing his identity to us it's self-revelation this is who I am when he gives himself a name so you think of when we hear the personal name of God and that's actually what the third commandment when it if you'll look at the the uh, verse 7 of Exodus 20 again you'll notice that the word Lord in most of your translations is all capital letters Whenever you see that in English translation, what that means is that in the Hebrew, it's the name Yahweh. That's the personal name that God gave for himself to Moses at the burning bush. He said, this is my name, and the name Yahweh means I am that I am, or I am who I am. And this is how God spoke his word to Moses. He says, I am who I am, or Yahweh, he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You could teach a whole theology course on what I am who I am means. Much of God's nature, God's character is wrapped up in that name Yahweh. Certainly it speaks to his eternality. It speaks to his self-sufficiency. He needs no one or no thing outside of himself. It speaks that, to the fact that he is self-existent, that he has no beginning, no end, that he is the all, of all, he is over all of creation. He is Yahweh, but even more than that, the name was revealed in the context of the covenant relationship that he was establishing between himself and his people. This was a name that speaks to his covenant faithfulness. He is Yahweh, the God of Israel, who has redeemed his people for himself. All of that is wrapped up in the name Yahweh. Every name that God gives himself in Scripture is self-revelation. We didn't name God. No one named God. God named himself. And each name is a very deep theology lesson. El Shaddai, the Hebrew name that God gave to himself, El Shaddai, means Lord of hosts, sovereign Lord. Yahweh Yerah means the Lord provides. Yahweh Rophe means the Lord who heals. Yahweh Sidkenu means the Lord our righteousness. These are all names that God gave to himself to reveal himself to us, to reveal his glory. And so when scripture talks about the name of the Lord, understand that everything that's said about the name of the Lord is said about God himself. And that name represents God himself. Listen to how that name is used in in Psalm 20 verse 1. It says, May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. The letters written on paper can't protect us. It's talking about the name as it represents God himself. God is our protector, so the name of God protects us. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. That means the Lord is a strong tower. We run to him for our security and protection. And the phrase, to trust in the name of the Lord... Basically, means justification by faith alone. That's what it means. To trust in the name of the Lord, in the person, the character of our covenant redeeming God. Trust in the name of the Lord. So before we talk about how we misuse the name, and we'll do that in a moment, I want to talk about how we properly use the name of God because we are to use God's name, but how are we to use it in a positive sense? That's where we go to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus Christ, in the Sermon on the Mount, taught us how to pray. And the first and most important thing that we are to pray, he said, is, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We don't use that word, hallowed, in any other context, I think, than this petition. It's such a great word because it speaks exactly to this most important request, most important goal of our life is to see the name of our God hallowed. Hallowed means reverenced, glorified, exalted, shown to be the majesty and glory and beauty that it represents. May the name of Christ in my life as an individual be exalted. May the name of Christ in my family be exalted. May the name of Christ in my church be exalted. May the name of Christ in my culture be exalted. That's what that prayer is about. Think about the exalted names in our own culture out there in the world. The name like the Braun. Michael Jordan, Mariano Rivera last this past week. These are names that are reverenced. Arnold Palmer, Muhammad Ali, these are names that are revered and reverenced and exalted in our culture. And think about the value of the name itself. Just by taking one of their pictures and having their signature on it raises the value of that picture exponentially. And also think about the penalty of forging that name on that picture if you were ever tempted to do so. What is the worth of the name of our God in comparison to that? Infinitely greater. That's what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The name of our God is majestic, highly exalted. And in Scripture, it's interesting that one of the synonyms, one of the phrases that is used as an equal phrase to the term worship is to name, to, to the, is to call upon the name of the Lord. That's what worship is in scripture. Call upon the name of the Lord. as an act of worship. It really, that's what worship is. I was uh, early in my Christian life, thankfully, before I'd gotten too far into living the Christian life, I came across the Westminster Confession, the Westminster Catechisms, and I was reading through that and i was really struck that when the catechism talks about how to keep the third commandment it actually uh, says that we are to uh, show reverence to god's name in the way we think about his name in the words we use in terms of using his name but also actually specifically names writing in the way we write the name of god and i that really struck me as a new believer and i thought how do i reverence the name of god in writing and I'm going to give you, with some hesitation, one way in which I've applied that, which I'm not trying to lay out as part of the, the, the Dan Keel Talmud or anything, where, you know, that you would have to be required to do this, but to me, I've found it very helpful, and this is somewhat particular to me, because in my line of work, I write the name of God all the time. I'm always writing or typing the name of God, either the, 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 the names or pronouns, which represent the names, and what I've From that point on, very early in my Christian life, the challenge I had for myself is that when I'd write not only the name of God, but the pronouns for God, that I would do what the old biblical translations used to do, which is use a capital letter at the beginning of the pronoun. When you write he or him or his, use a capital H. That was just a challenge for me. And that's the reason in the old translations was to show that reverence for the name of God. And I understand for, in the modern printing world, that that the inconvenience that that might cause. But for me, as I'm writing the names of God, it's just a reminder to me every time I do it, I'm to revere the name of my God. I am to fear the name of my God. I am to treat the name of my God with great respect and to seek to exalt it in everything I do. It's just a really good reminder for me. I'm not saying you have to do that. But to me, it's just a great reminder. And that's why they used to do it in the translations and the writings of former generations. We are to hallow the name of God. Well, then let's take a moment to talk about how do we take the Lord's name in vain. How do we take the Lord's name in vain? We tend to associate this commandment with the sin of blasphemy. That's just the obvious. Every one of these commandments has an easy and obvious application. And the easy and obvious application with the third commandment is blasphemy. Where you actually directly curse the name of God or speak against God or use God's name in a way that brings uh, shame to the name, a way that mocks the name, that denies the name, and some direct attack upon the name of God. That's what blasphemy is. But if we think that that's all that the third commandment is about, most of us could probably say, well, let's see, I can check that one off because I did pretty well on that one this past week. Don't remember blaspheming the name of God directly. But bad news is each one of these commandments go far deeper than something like that and what's interesting is to always remember as we go through these commandments that these commandments were given as part of a covenant between God and his redeemed people and that these commandments primarily address God's people these commandments primarily address the church of the old testament and the new testament So it's for God's family, not for those pagans and unbelievers and God-haters that are out there in the world. Not to say it doesn't apply to them, just saying it's primarily directed to his own people. And so we need to think about how we take the Lord's name in vain within the walls of the church. As I've gone through many of the different interpretations and expositions of this that I've been able to come across, I've come up with three basic categories for how we take the Lord's name in vain. The first way is we take the Lord's name in vain when we use it thoughtlessly. When we use it thoughtlessly, that's literally what the Hebrew term means. So to say to take the Lord's name in vain means to take it in an empty or useless way. To treat the name as though it's empty or useless. And that's literally what in vain means. To use the name of God frivolously or insincerely or flippantly is to take the name of the Lord in vain. I'm probably good to stop at this moment and talk a little bit about bad language because it's a very relevant issue. I am just amazed that in the course of my lifetime, how the language of our culture has gotten worse and worse and more profane and more profane. And so this is an issue that you face far more than I do. I mean, I hang out in the church office most of the week and... People I hang out with, Linda and Tom and Alex, you know, it's not a big problem. They're, they're, they're bad language on a good day. Um, <laughs> no, 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 they're, they're great. They're great that way. But I know that in your workplace and in your schools, especially young people, in your schools, you're hearing stuff every day, sometimes every third or fourth or fifth word. And so I want to take a moment just to talk about what is bad language because it relates to the third commandment. There's one category of bad language that I would just call crude language. It's just crude. It's typically words that, out of the history of our culture, they initially were associated with either bodily functions or sexual activity, and now they're just dirty words. That's crudity. And that's not a breaking of the third commandment. It doesn't mean it's okay. It's just not a breaking of the third commandment, because the third commandment is about how we speak of God. Those words aren't a violation of the third commandment, but they are things that Christians should not allow to come across their lips. If, you want, if I were preaching a sermon on that, I would go to the pastoral epistles. Paul has a lot to say about what he calls filthy and foolish talk or crude jokes. These are things that are not, as he says, it's not fitting for the family of God. It's not suitable. And I am somewhat troubled when I or other Christians get tempted to use that kind of language just to fit in a little better, just to be seen as not so Christian, I don't know, not seen so out of touch with the world, not unhip, uncool, I don't know. So we would not, we should not be lowering ourselves and our language to that level, but that's not an issue of the third commandment. The second kind of bad language that we find in our culture is what I would call a an abuse of God's name, which is, Most often, thoughtless, not intentional. Blasphemy is the intentional misuse of God's name. But the misuse of God's name that is thoughtless is more in the category of using God's name in a way where you're not really intending to speak of God the way that he should be spoken of. So when you say, oh God, and you're really just expressing surprise or anger, or the worst case is when you use it to express disgust that is badly misusing the name of God even if you're not thinking overtly i am using god's name to express disgust you're still accountable for god before god for how you're using his name and it should never be used i mean and i think about why don't we say oh judas when we're mad or oh hitler seems to me it'll be a whole lot more appropriate But we don't do that. And and I've actually heard people say, and I think there may be something to it, that the fact that we want to say, oh God, or oh Jesus Christ, we want to use the names of God in that context, it speaks to our instinctual hatred of God. Our instinctual rebellion, the, the sin nature that we're born with. It should not happen in the church, brothers and sisters. The third way in which we hear bad language is when these are, this is kind of a subset of number two, is when we use words that are associated with God in an inappropriate way. The, the word reason, and these are not even really considered bad words, either, but the reason that hell and damn, when they're used to express anger or disgust or whatever, the reason that, they're, that, that our forefathers considered that wrong is because they originally came from saying to another person, go to hell or damn you. To curse them, to put yourself in God's place on God's throne and pronounce judgment upon someone was highly offensive. And we've kind of lost that connotation. I understand that. But understand that the reason that those words are considered naughty, the reason they're considered edgy, is because they were originally associated with God. I'm just pointing this out to to get us all thinking a little bit about the language we use because when we start to get into the use of God's name or God's characteristics, we need to hallow the name of God. We need to be careful that we're not using the names of God thoughtlessly or flippantly in a way that demeans that name. There's another use, and I think that we Christians fall into in our christian ease, which is to use the name thoughtlessly, the name of God thoughtlessly, in our clichés or our verbal filler or our prayer fillers, where we keep using the name of God but not really thinking about him at all when we use it. Whereas the world might, something good happens in their life, they might say, yippee! We say, praise the Lord or hallelujah, and we may genuinely mean it, and if so, that's a wonderful use of God's name. But the problem is when it becomes a cliche and we start using it thoughtlessly, then we're demeaning that name. And the word hallelujah means praise the Lord, by the way, because the "Ya" yeah at the end is Yahweh, Hebrew for praise the Lord. Just when you say it, try to mean it, is all that I'm asking there. And I'm going to make some people uncomfortable here, and I know I do this periodically. If, if I'm in the room, and we're a small group study, or we're standing after church, and you sneeze... Please don't take it personally if I don't say anything in response to your sneeze. I, you know, this, again, it's going to sound trivial, and it could be legalistic, and the last thing I want to do is be legalistic about this. But I just came under conviction a while ago that I shouldn't say God bless you to someone unless I really mean God have favor upon your soul. And it's just the kind of thing that I think we should train ourselves away from, which is using the name of God thoughtlessly. That's the first way in which this commandment is broken. The second way is when we take the Lord's name in vain, when we use it deceptively. And this gets us into a realm of Christian ethics that I don't have time to delve into this morning. And it really, I think because we've gotten away from Christian ethics largely, it's not as big an issue in the world or in the church like it used to be. But taking oaths, saying this is true and I'm going to affirm it's true by taking this oath in the name of the Lord. And what you're doing there is you're making a statement or you're making a promise and you're adding the lord's name to it to add greater weight or greater credibility to what you're saying and the bible allows for doing that in very specific occasions it's legitimate to take an oath in the lord's name in certain circumstances but in past generations of our culture it got way out of hand and certainly in the biblical culture of jesus day jesus had to deal with the illegitimate taking of oaths and the problem there is when you take an oath and you add God's name to it, especially when you do it, sometimes we're doing it in order to get credibility so that we can deceive or manipulate somebody else. And that's where it really uh, crosses the line. You know, and you think Leviticus 19 verse 12 says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. I mean, it's one thing to lie or to attempt to deceive, but to add the Lord's name to it is to bring dishonor upon his name. But then there's a second category where... You can profane the name of the Lord by saying, thus says the Lord, like a prophet, and not having the authority to use his name in that way. By saying something that's a false teaching and then saying, this comes from the Lord. That's profaning the Lord's name. And churches are doing it all over the place. Giving the teachings of men and saying, this is from the Lord. And that is breaking the third commandment because you're using the Lord's name to give credibility to something that he never intended to say. Jeremiah 14, 14. The prophets are prophesying lies in my name, says the Lord. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. It's a very serious thing to make a truth claim and add God's name to it for credibility. I do it every Sunday when I stand in the pulpit, and it's a fearful thing, let me tell you. To say that this is what God's word says, and I do my best every week to try to ensure that I do not add to what the word of God says, or to distort it. And God have mercy on me when I do, inevitably. So that's a second way, is when we use God's name in order to deceive, or to claim something or teach something he has not taught. Thirdly, the third kind of way in which we take the Lord's name in vain is when we take it hypocritically, when we use it hypocritically. Paul addressed this in Romans 2 verses 23 and 24. He said, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What that says is you can actually say the names of God in the, using the right words and do it in the right way, but if they then go out and live in a way that contradicts it, you are actually taking the Lord's name in vain. You have put the Lord's name to your life and to, your, to, your, to what you proclaim, and then you've gone and lived and contradicted it. That's a breaking of the third commandment. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We bear the name of our God. That's what salvation is about. When you're baptized into the covenant community, when you're baptized into the church, you are given by baptism the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are given his name. You are called a Christian, which means little Christ. You bear the name of Christ as you live your life in the world. I'm reminded of a story where a father said to his son as he left for college, Son, you are leaving this house today with my name. When you come back, make sure it's in as good or better a condition as when you left with it. And that's really the challenge for us as believers. We bear the name of Christ, and we break the third commandment. When we bring shame to the name of Christ through the way that we live. We break the third commandment when we de-hallow the name of God. The name of God is to be hallowed in all things and when we use God's name thoughtlessly or deceptively or hypocritically, we break the third commandment. I would venture to say that all of us to one degree or another have broken the third commandment during this worship service. Because we, I'm sure, to some degree or another, took the names of our Lord upon our lips to sing the hymns or the songs, and we did it somewhat thoughtlessly, we did it somewhat deceptively, and we did it somewhat hypocritically. So even in the last hour, we have broken this commandment. We stand guilty before God. I don't say this to defeat you. I say this so that I may take a moment to point you to Christ. And that's what the law is supposed to do. The law is not meant to left you, leave you under the burden of guilt and the burden of your sin. It's meant to point you to the cross. This commandment ends with a very dire warning. It says, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And we are all guilty on a daily basis of taking the Lord's name in vain. We stand before our holy God accused And that's why we need to look to Christ in the gospel. Because when we look to Christ, we see the one who alone, the only person who always, in every moment of every breath of his life, hallowed the name of his Father perfectly. And that's what he offers to us. That status of being seen as perfect for the way in which we have borne the name of Christ He offers that to us as a gift when we come to him by faith. I think of the prophet Isaiah. He saw a vision of the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he was undone before this God. He could not even open his mouth before this God. And God took a coal from the altar and touched it to his lips and said, your sin is taken away. That's what happens at the cross. This perfect son of God who always hallowed his Father's name, allowed himself to bear the penalty for our taking the Lord's name in vain over and over and over every day. He took it upon himself at the cross and he bore that punishment completely so that we could have our lips cauterized, so that we could be made clean, so that our mouth could be acceptable to express the praises of the majestic name of the God that we serve. That's what Christ did. That's what he did for us. This commandment ultimately really points to Christ himself, doesn't it? Because if God's names are a revelation of who he is, his nature, his character, then Christ is the fulfillment of all of that. He's the ultimate revelation of who God is. He came to fulfill all of those Old Testament names for God. He is the fullness of it. In John 17, verse 6, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Listen to what he says. He says, I to the father he says I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world what an amazing statement I have manifested your name father to the people whom you've given me that's why he came to show the fullness of who God the father is all the names for God point to Christ and Christ completes that revelation over and over again we've seen it, especially in the gospel of John Over and over again, he lays claim to the name Yahweh. He says, I am, I am, I am. He is Yahweh, the fullness of that revelation. He is the Lord who sees us. He is the Lord who provides for us. He is the Lord who heals us. He is the good shepherd. And as he said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. That's why when Peter and the apostles went out to preach the gospel and to heal, Peter, when he healed the crippled man in Acts chapter 4, he says he healed him by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's why Paul in Philippians 2 says in that great passage that we read earlier. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. That's why we have to hallow the name of God and ultimately hallow the name of Jesus Christ who is the fullness of that revelation of who God is. Michael Horton says this in his commentary on this commandment. He says, Protection of God's name is essential primarily for theological reasons. Every name is an affirmation of faith, and taken together, they all form a confession of faith. Hallow the name of God. If, as the catechism says, our chief end in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then our life's goal is to hallow the name of God, to never use it thoughtlessly, deceptively, or hypocritically, but to exalt the name of God, to exalt the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ in all that we say and do. As Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God have mercy that we might conform to that image. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you that we can look to him to see what keeping the third commandment and hallowing your name looks like. But most of all, thank you that he bore the penalty, the punishment, that our daily violations of that commandment had brought upon ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that we are forgiven through him. Thank you that we are made clean. Thank you that the expressions of our mouths and especially the declarations of your name are acceptable in your sight because of what Christ has done for us. And now we long to sing and praise that name again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.